I have been friends with Steve uh, for, for quite a while, and uh, the way you get a hold of Steve is through Sandra. And so I, I sent her a, an email, and I said, hey, I'm going to be coming over to Lake Point. Is Steve going to be there? And uh, she wrote me back. She said, no, he's going to be in Haiti. And so I, I called Charlie, and I said, hey, Charlie, um, Steve's not going to be there. Who do you think is going to be preaching? He said, well, I don't know. They've got several folks that are preaching. And so when I got an email last night from Charlie, or a text, he said, hey, Steve's going to be here. And I, I know Charlie. I know what Charlie is telling me is you're wrong. I mean, I, I know. Uh, and, and so when I got here today, I'm like all excited because Steve's going to be here. And uh, they got up and they said, Steve's not here because he's uh, on video. And Charlie looks down at me and says, well, he, I was right. He's here. So... Uh, that's Charlie. That's Charlie. It's always been Charlie. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of drawing together the long history of, and by the way, what time am I supposed to close, not what time does he close? What time am I supposed to close? <sighs> you should never say that. Well, give me something to aim at. Noon. Okay. Yeah, fat chance. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Joe Tom knows. Uh, he's, he's been over at Preston Ridge enough. Um, when I was just uh, 13, 14 years old, and Charlie was 16 or 17, whatever that is, I remember our youth minister was talking to me one day about all that generation. We, we saw it as two generations. There was this whole group of guys his age that came to Christ, it was a miraculous, I know you've talked about that before, a miraculous time in which God led all these teenagers to Christ. And I was second generation. I was like, all of a sudden these next guys came in. But I always looked up to that other generation. And I remember, I've never told you this, Charlie, but I remember asking our youth minister, Mel, one time, something about, I said, uh, who, who do you like for preaching? When you, when you get one of these guys, if you could have somebody come in and preach for you, which one of it would, would it be? And he said, Charlie Jones. And I said, well, there's Ron, and there's Dwayne, and there's Mike, and there's... And he said, Charlie Jones. And I said, why Charlie? And I hadn't heard you preach yet. And he said, because Charlie is very intent on always knowing and preaching the Bible. He's, he's the best Bible teacher, preacher we have. And uh, I found that to be true. A few years ago when... Uh, I decided it was a good idea to pull all of our adult uh, Bible classes, the life groups together, put all the teachers in one room and teach them for two hours. I asked Charlie to come over and to lead all the groups. And everybody just kept talking about how amazing it is because that's, that's who Charlie is. He's, he's just fantastic. Now, I don't have much time, so I'll, I'm just telling you right now, we'll, we'll be kind of moving fast through this. But I'm, I have today John chapter 2. And one thing I learned by watching Steve again today in his sermon, by the way, if you haven't heard the sermon yet, do not cheat yourself. It's, it's fantastic. You have to listen to it either today or on, on uh, the podcast, but you have, to, you have to hear it. But one thing I learned from Steve again, there's always something I learned, is Steve has this way of being able to teach and you don't feel rushed. And that is not me. I'm always rushing, so I'm trying to slow myself down today. We're going to take John chapter 2 and we're going to look at two parts in John chapter 2. The first part I'm going to major on, and then I'm just going to tie the second part in because these two stories go together. 
You might not think they do, but they really do go together, and I hope to show you that today. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding, and when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever He tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to His servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then He told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though His servants who had drawn the water knew. Then He called the bridegroom aside. Verse 10, And He said to him, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till last or till now. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which He revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. Now, in this story, there's so much in here. I just started looking at it and I say, okay... I have to edit it down because there, there's so much that we could, we could teach about today. But probably the best thing I could tell you is we need to look at the idea of the miracle of transfiguration or, or transformation. That's what this story is all about. In fact, both of these are about that. You know, miracles are something that Americans still believe in. In fact, it's, it's interesting. There are more Americans that believe in miracles today than 20 years ago. In 2012, an article about their uh, Americans' belief in miracles summarized it this way. 55% of Americans are certain that miracles happen. That's about a 20% increase from 91. 80% believe that miracles certainly or probably occur. 42% of Americans with no religious affiliation believe in miracles compared to 32% from 20 years ago. 23% of respondents said they had witnessed a miraculous physical healing. 16% they had received a miraculous healing. 75% said they had prayed to God to receive healing from an illness or an injury. Nearly 85% had prayed for someone else's healing. Let me ask you a question and we'll just get it by the showing of hands. How many of you have seen God heal someone when they should not have been healed? If you'd raise your hand for that. My hand's up on that one. How many of you have personally been healed and you did not get a report that you probably would be, but you were healed? Anybody like that? I'm one of those. Got my hand up too. Uh, How many of you have seen God answer something in a a truly amazing way? You've prayed for something and God's just amazing. I think that you and I both know that God does miracles. And in fact, when God does miracles, the amazing thing is how often we take it for granted. Well, for the Jews to have a miracle happen, to see a sign, is exactly what they were looking for because they're looking for the Messiah. And if I can say it first, and I'll say it again at the end of the lesson, John has written this book specifically so that people will truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that He is the Messiah, that they will put their faith and their trust in Him. So today we want to talk about that. And one thing in particular 
that you need to notice in this is Jesus turned water into wine. And water, in the book of John, because you're going to keep studying John, water is a key figure in the book of John. For instance, uh, if, you, if you were to go through the whole book of John, I'm not going to do the whole thing here, but water into wine is chapter 2. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks to a religious leader and he tells him you have to be born again. And the religious leader says to him, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, don't be mistaken, you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. The way I take that is the water is talking about physical birth as a child is, is born in fluid and how the Spirit is the spiritual birth. He's saying you've got to have both. You've got to be alive and then you've got to come alive in the Spirit. And then you, again, you would look at Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and what is she wanting? She's wanting water. What does Jesus offer her? Living water. It's always that there's water and then there's greater. John the Baptist is, is baptizing people in water. That baptism is a baptism of people saying, I agree with you, John. Our whole nation, me individually, we need to repent. And they're being baptized saying, I want to turn to God. I want to turn away from the way we are. And he says, Jesus is coming who will baptize you in something greater than water. Spirit. So it's continually, John keeps pushing this point of there's water. Anything wrong with water? No, it's great. I need water to live. I need water. I always carry water up when I speak because I'm always thinking I'm going to get choked on something. I've got to have some water just in case. And now it is, this is my security blanket every time I preach. I know that. I've got to have the water with me. But water is so necessary, but there's something better. And the something better is the gospel. The something better is the spirit. The something better is the changed life. And so that's the purpose of turning water into wine for us spiritually today is to see what Jesus was doing. He was showing them the gospel. But let's talk about the wedding. Does anybody have an idea when you look at that Mary, Jesus, and His disciples are invited to a wedding? Does that have any importance to anybody? Why do you think the Bible even puts that in there? Why does it put it, instead of saying Jesus was at a wedding... It says Jesus was invited to a wedding. Any idea why it would be that way? Can't get it wrong. Even if you're wrong, I'll say, good idea. <laughs> Anybody? Okay, good idea anyway. Um, any of you ever been invited to a wedding? Okay. Anybody? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. Anyway... I want you to understand for a moment, put flesh, muscle, bones upon the figure of Jesus and understand He is a truly human living being. He is both God and He is man. But He walks among men because He is a man and as a man He is absolutely involved in mankind. One thing that going back to the earlier years. When I first came to Christ, one of the ideas I had is everything is so important and the spiritual life is so important and nothing else matters. Well, actually life matters. Weddings matter. Funerals matter. Birthdays matter. Anniversaries matter. Friends matter. Having a good time. Going on vacation. It all matters. And what I want you to understand from the very beginning is that Jesus does not see this is my spiritual life and over here is this secular world that I have nothing to do with. 
Those two merge absolutely together for Jesus. There is nothing that is profane. Everything is sacred to Him. And as He goes to the wedding, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jesus is at a wedding and His mom came in to tell Him something and He was over in the corner with His Bible scrolls open and leading a Bible study. Okay, I, I know some of you that really might... you say, wait a minute now. You know what I think He was doing? I think he was having a good time. I think he was talking to people. I think he was laughing at jokes. I think he was having a good time involved in other people's lives. <coughs> so the first thing I get out of this is understanding that Jesus is absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, and is still someone you want to be around or he wouldn't be invited to the wedding. It's just the truth. By the way, when you look at where this wedding is, it's probably three to three and a half miles away from where Jesus lived. And yet, weddings were such a big deal that you invited all the people you knew, and the more the merrier. But there's one problem with inviting that many people. Weddings could last for seven days. Seven days. Now, we kind of do that. My wife does seven-day birthdays. <laughs> I think this year she turned into a month birthday. And every day there's something else. What's well, my birthday, you know? Well, that's the way weddings were. And I think they're kind of progressing back towards that because you have to have the women come to do this thing together. And then you have to have a special breakfast over here. And then you've got to have a shower over here. And then you've got to meet together. And I'm like, good night, it never ends. But we don't hold a candle to what they did. All the folks would come in, all the friends, and they would stay for an entire week, and it was one thing after another. And I want to be honest, and I know I'm in a Baptist church today, but wine started being poured on the first day. Now, I'll get into that. It's really freaking you out. I'll get into the wine idea in a minute. But you started pouring the wine, and you started eating the food, and you started laughing and dancing and music from the first day. So it's days worth of a celebration. I don't know how long Jesus and Mary were here. Probably not as long because they're not family, they're friends. But they begin to be together and they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, they run out of wine. Now, I want to say a couple of things about wine here. First of all, it was wine and not grape juice. Okay, I know we want to say it was grape juice. The minute you press the grapes and you do not put it in a refrigerator, it begins the process, okay? Now, here's the difference. Some of you said, aha. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they did not distill it like we do. They did not try to boost it up. Instead, the wine began to ferment. They poured the wine. They mixed it with water. This is what they did. Why did they do that? Because they didn't want anybody to be drunk. That's the whole point. Come on, these are religious people. They're not like saying, let's get to the party and get drunk. They're not doing that. But they come together, they start having their wine, they're celebrating. And if you'll notice, there's someone who's the head of the party. This guy is specifically to make sure, is there food for everyone? Is there drink for everyone? He's getting a little bit too much. Cut the wine some more. This is what they did. And so he's head over everything. This is what's going on. And 
he tells us in this story that the head master of, of the ceremony says most people, he tells the groom later, most people wait until people have had quite a bit to drink and they begin to get numb to the taste and then they pour the bad stuff out. Because by this time, we really don't care. We've had the wine we need. That doesn't mean drunk. It just means I've had plenty of it. And he said, you've done differently. You brought the good stuff out later. And the good stuff means it tasted better. It was better stuff. So Jesus and his disciples come to this. They're likable people. They're not detached from their culture. And I just want to say, as a follower of Jesus, we should allow all of our friendships, all of our influence, all of the circles to impact Jesus. But there's a problem. It's in verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour is not yet come. The mother said, Do whatever he tells you. Why is Mary upset about this? Well, first of all, there's one thing I promise you I know. And you're not going to disagree with me. I know that. And we'll, just, we'll know it in heaven for sure. But Mary is sweet. She's precious. And she's at this wedding and she sees that all of a sudden they're out of wine. And she goes to Jesus and she says, there's a problem. Well, what's, what's the big problem? Well, the big problem is that if they're out of wine, this will look bad for the groom. This will make his whole future in doubt. I know that sounds crazy, but it's the truth. Because a wedding was that important. A wedding was so important that the rabbis of the time said that if you're in the time of a wedding and you're going through all this, you cannot have to do all the religious stuff you normally do. Do your wedding. That's what you do. It was that big a deal. And so I want to say, first of all, there's some key points we ought to learn in this passage. The first is simply this. When a problem shows up, it's an opportunity for God to step up. And I hope you see that in your life. No matter what problem is in your life, that is the time in which you by faith can look back to the Father and say, can you show up? Can you step up? Father, I can't do this. This is a problem. And so that's exactly what Mary does. Now let's talk about the dynamic of Mary and Jesus. Why does she know, first of all, that they're out of wine? And to me, this is really cool. I hope you get this part. Mary knows that they're out of wine because she's back with the other ladies, this is what they did, and they are making sure everything is ready for the next round. Uh, we're going to bring some more food out. We're going to bring some fruit out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And she's back here helping, and she notices that they're out of wine. Who does not know it? The guy who's running the party. She does. Can you imagine what the other people were doing in that kitchen when they ran out of wine? Some people are thinking... I don't know how we're going to cover this. Can, can we cut it anymore? No, we're out. It's gone. Mary is the only one, I dare say, that walks out of that kitchen and goes to their son and says, Hey, we've got a problem. We're out of wine. Now, I know what that's like when we have something in our house. I don't know how many times, guys, if you're having a party at your house... Your wife will come to you and say, we need more ice. Well, that's not a time for me to pray about it. <laughs> that's a time for me to get my keys and go buy more ice, right? I know that. Mary goes to Jesus the same way. We're out of wine. Well, not just a little bit. I mean, 
we have been going on for days and it's not over. And Jesus can't run to the 7-Eleven and grab some cheap wine and come back and pour it with the water. It's not going on. And Jesus looks at him, looks at her, and what he says is, Woman, why do you involve me? Well, let me get to that. Let me say one more thing first. Jesus tells the servants to fill these six stone containers up to the brim with water. This is a big deal. The water pots are ceremonial water pots. They are made for cleansing. In other words, the Jews made a big deal out of washing before meals, a big deal out of washing before reading scripture, whatever it may be. And so they're not, it's not about not being clean. It's about I'm already clean, but I'm going to wash again for ceremony's sake. And these pots were here. Now the pots were supposed to be filled with living water. Now I know you're thinking, wait a minute, that's the one at the well. That's not what they called living water. They called living water water that was flowing. So really, understanding where Cana is, this is not a place where you have these big streams coming in. Instead, they would have had to take dead water, which was water out of a well, which was water uh, out of of this pond over here. What it may be, wherever they have it, that's not living water. You're supposed to only use living water for a ceremonial cleansing or the living water flows through the dead water to cleanse yourself. So what's the big deal? I want you to understand everything about the way the Jews were trying to do this. I promise, I'll, I'll hurry. Um, uh, every, just kidding, just teasing. Every way about the way the Jews were doing this, they already weren't living up to the ceremony. But Jesus looks at pots that are religious in their significance, only religious in their significance, and he has those filled to the brim with water, and he turns those into wine. That's a really big deal, because what's going on there is that Jesus is doing a miracle, and he is doing something that the religious leaders would have never, ever dreamed of doing. He's breaking taboo. Jesus comes on the scene and really tears things up. I'm sorry? Amen. Amen is right. He tears things up. I want to tell you another thing I learned from this. The servants knew what was happening, but nobody else. When you get to serve, you get to see things that God is doing that nobody else gets to see. When you put yourself in a place of serving, you are going to see the actions of Jesus that people who are not serving don't understand. Jesus tells these folks to fill the service, to fill it up with the water. And then he says, take it to the, the headmaster to taste it. I tried my best to figure out, is there any chance it was still water all the way up to the point of they hand it to the headmaster? I mean, I don't know. I've got my imaginations. My imaginations go kind of crazy because I was a Twilight Zone generation baby. So anyway, but... <laughs> I've got him carrying this. It's either wine or it's water. They hand it to the guy. He drinks it and says, man, this is fantastic. This is the best. And they don't say anything about it. They don't say, hey, let me just tell you how we got this. Let me tell you what Jesus... They don't do any of that. This is a, a knowledge that they only know because they're serving. You guys, one thing I heard already in here as Charlie was going through this, you guys serve. And one of the joys, as you said a moment ago, three years, this has been the glue, right? Isn't that what you said? Yep. 
That's because you're serving, other people are serving, and you see God's handiwork. It's an amazing thing that when you get to see what's going on here. But let's talk about Jesus' harshness to his mom. And I'm already saying I'm only going to be able to do a little bit of my lesson here. But why does he call her woman? And I do that with my wife. Because it's biblical. Woman? I learned that from my father-in-law. Anyway, he says, woman, why do you involve me? This is basically saying you don't understand. Woman is not a bad term here. It's not harsh. But why doesn't she say, he say mother? Why didn't he do that? Well, I'll give you an example. Allow me to get, talk about politics just for a moment without being political. The week before... Donald Trump was elected president, I'm sure he played golf. If I had a golf course, I'd play golf all the time, and I'd win. I'd, I'd find out how. So a week before he played, a week before he was uh, sworn in, he, he, was, he was playing golf probably, and one of his buddies said, Hey, Donald, you did a great shot there, man. That was fantastic. Way to drive that ball. Someone else said, Hey, Donald, you want a drink? I'm going over it. You want? Yeah. The day after, if he played golf, it wasn't Donald. Is Mr. President. I don't care who you are. It's Mr. President. Guys, if you miss this, you're missing out. Mary has slowly been understanding Jesus is about to enter into this whole new life. She knows who he is. She hasn't forgotten about the angels singing she hasn't forgotten about the wise men kneeling before him. She hasn't forgotten about the light from heaven. She hasn't forgotten about the angel saying who he is and what he's going to do. She hasn't forgotten any of that. She hasn't forgotten about him going to the temple and astounding the teachers with the questions that he's asking. She hadn't forgotten when she berates him at that time and says, Son, why did you worry us so much? Why, are you, why were you gone? And he says, Don't you know I must be about my father's business? She hasn't forgotten. And when she comes to him, she's not asking him as a normal son to take care of something. She is looking at him as her Lord and saying, Lord, will you do something? Because she knows. It's about to all kick in. How does she know that? Maybe it's mother's intuition. I don't know. She's watched this day. She's prayed about this day. It's coming. And he looks at her not as mom at that moment, but as disciple and says, my hour has not come. But here's what's really cool. The mom side still kicks in. Because even though she's addressing him knowing who he is, she turns to the servants as she walks out and she says, do whatever he says and walks out the door. That is pure mom. <laughs> as absolute mom. I said it, you will do it. Because she knows who he is. And when Jesus says, my hour is not yet come, he nevertheless does it anyway. Three things were transformed at that moment. Number one, Jesus transformed these religious pots, these ritual pots, from six stone pots 
into roughly 800 bottles of wine in one moment. The pots are no longer for ritual. The pots are now for a celebration and a blessing of a family and families. Number two, Jesus turns regular dead water into the best wine that's ever been made. And number three, this is big. Jesus said his hour had not yet come. He made it come. I don't think Cana was supposed to be the first miracle. He upped the timetable. Now what does that mean? I believe Jesus had so many things he was going to do upon this earth. And then it was the cross. This is a little bit sad when you think about it. But his mom was hastening the cross and didn't know it. And you know what's really cool about this? He was willing to do it anyway. Three things changed at that moment. Jesus turns water into wine. They take it out. They make sure everybody has everything. And uh, let me just go through a few of these things that I cannot go through today. God always knows there is no greater way to know Jesus than to be His disciple. She knew Him as mom. Now she knows Him as, as, as being a disciple. And there's no greater way to know Jesus than being His disciple. I'll, I'll apologize right now how I'm, I'm jumping. Uh, number two, God values relationships over rituals. Jesus could have been all about the ritual. He's about the relationship. Jesus has saved this man's future. Uh, next, God uses what is close at hand to accomplish miracles in our lives. This class right here, after three years, you guys have been the answer to one another's miracles many a time. He's, God's not often looking for somebody to come over here from another country to save the day for you. It's usually your friends. It's usually your family. It's usually your church. God does that. He uses what's close at hand. He always does. Now the second half of this passage is over Jesus cleansing the temple. And you may remember it. Time of the Passover, Jesus went to, the, to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, others sitting at tables exchanging money. He makes a whip out of cords. He drove out the temple courts, the sheep and the cattle. By the way... It doesn't say he beat people with a whip. It says he took a whip and he drove the animals out, which would be normal. He does, however, scatter the coins of the money changers, overturns the tables, those who sold doves. He said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus said, the Jews said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. The first miracle ever is in John chapter 2. There is a feast, a wedding feast, and Jesus turns water and wine. You go a few verses and you are told now of Jesus promising His last miracle ever, and that is the cross and the resurrection. I put together a little chart here, and I'll just go through it real quickly, how they match up. In, one's in Cana, one's in Jerusalem. 
The first occasion is celebration. The second occasion is also supposed to be celebration. It's the Passover. Uh, the first is in the house of man. The second one is in the house of God. In the first Cana, at the wedding, he performs his first miracle. In the last, he declares his last miracle. In Cana, there is a request made by faith, but in Jerusalem, there is a demand for proof. God does not value us demanding Him to prove Himself to us. doesn't work that way. Uh, there is a relationship over ritual in Cana and there is ritual over relationship in Jerusalem. They, those in authority miss out in Cana. The, the people ahead of it, they, they miss the miracle. But in Jerusalem, they miss Him. They don't see Him. Uh, in Cana, the busyness hides the miracle of Jesus trying to get stuff done. In the second half in Jerusalem, it's greed that hides the miracle of Jesus. In the first, he starts his hour, and in the last, he seals his hour. In the first, he dismisses the purification ritual for the pots, and in the last one, he purifies the whole temple. This is who Jesus is, and I'm going to end with that. Jesus takes us to a place to where we look at our lives and we say, it is about me truly knowing him and living his life out because he is the authentic miracle worker and He transforms everything. I'll end with a question. What transformation is happening in you today? You say, well, there's not a transformation happening. If there's not, it's because you're not letting it. Jesus never leaves things unchanged. Never. Never. Would you bow with me and let us pray about God changing us? Lord Jesus... We need that transformation. As you turned water into wine, you went from something so ordinary and made it extraordinary. That's what we want in our lives. And Lord, there's never a time, no matter what our age, in which you're finished with that. Not ever. So I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate this great class full of wonderful people and a wonderful teacher. And Sally is such a wonderful friend to everyone and does so much. May we remember that the reason these are wonderful people and a wonderful teacher is because you transform. That's what you do. So continue to touch our lives, Lord, and may we yield to your spirit. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.